Welcome to Wilderness Outreach. My name is John, and I'm here with my bro my brother, Michael. Mancast is your weekly adventure into the wilds of masculine spirituality, where we will be hunting for the meaning of manhood, tracking down the intersection of faith and science, uncovering true leadership, and searching for the deep meaning of the history of God's created universe. So strap on your hiking boots and your backpack, grab your compass and your map, and let's get rolling. Michael, would you lead us in evening prayer tonight? All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, come to my assistance. The Lord, make haste to help me. help me. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Alleluia. Alleluia. I have made you the light of all nations to carry my salvation to the ends of the earth. O oh God, give your judgment to the king, to a king's son, your justice that I may judge your people in justice and your poor in right judgment. May the mountains bring forth peace for the people and hills justice. May he defend the poor of the people and save the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. He shall endure like the sun and the moon from age to age. He shall descend like rain on the meadow, like raindrops on the earth. In his days, justice shall flourish, and peace till the moon fails. He shall rule from sea to sea, from the great river to the earth's bounds. Before him his enemies shall fall, his foes lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and the sea coast shall pay him tribute. The kings of Sheba and Seba shall bring gifts. Before him all kings shall fall prostrate. All nations shall serve him. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. I have made you the light of all nations, to carry my salvation to the ends of the earth. The Lord will save the children of the poor, and rescue them from slavery. For he shall save the poor when they cry, and the needy who are helpless. He will have pity on the weak and save the lives of the poor. From oppression he will rescue their lives. To him their blood is dear. Long may he live. May the gold of Sheba be given him. They shall pray for him without ceasing and bless him all the day. May corn meet abundant in the land to the peaks of the mountains. May its fruits rustle like Lebanon. May men flourish in the cities like grass on the earth. May his name be blessed forever and endure like the sun. Every tribe shall be blessed in him. All nations bless his name. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who alone works wonders. Ever blessed his glorious name. Let his glory fill the earth. Amen, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Lord will save the children of the poor and rescue them from slavery. Now the victorious reign of our God has begun. We praise you, the Lord God Almighty, who is and was. You have assumed your great power. You have begun your reign. The nations have raged in anger, but then came your day of wrath, the moment to judge the dead. The time to reward your servants, the prophets, and the holy ones who revere you, the great and small alike. Now have salvation and power come, the reign of our God and the authority of his anointed one. For the accuser of our brothers is cast out, who night and day accuse them before God. They defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the testimony. Love for life did not tear them from death. So rejoice, you heavens, and you that dwell therein. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Now the victorious reign of our God has begun. 
By obedience to the truth, you have purified yourselves for a genuine love of your brothers. Therefore, love one another constantly from the heart. Your rebirth has come not from a destructible, but from an indestructible seed through the living and enduring word of God. Lord is my shepherd, I shall want for nothing. Lord is my shepherd, I shall want for nothing. He has brought me to green pastures. I shall want for nothing. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall want for nothing. If you hunger for holiness, God will satisfy your longing, good measure and flowing over. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to help, to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Glory to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now and will be forever. If you hunger for holiness, God will satisfy your longing, good measure, and flowing over. Lift up your hearts to our Lord and Savior, who gives his people every spiritual blessing. In the spirit of devotion, let us ask him. Bless your people, Lord. Merciful God. Strengthen Francis, our Pope, and Earl, our Bishop. Keep them free from harm. Look favorably on our country, Lord. Free us from all evil. Call men to serve at your altar. And to follow you more closely in chastity, poverty, and obedience. Take care of your handmaidens' vow to virginity. That they may follow you, the divine Lamb, wherever you go. May the dead rest in eternal peace. May their union with us be strengthened through the sharing of spiritual goods. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Father of mercy, hearing our evening prayer of praise, let our hearts never waver from the love of your law. Lead us on to the night's darkness, to the dawning of eternal life. We ask this to our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. And may, may the Lord bless us, protect us from all evil, and bring us to everlasting life. Amen. Good evening, Michael. Good evening, brother. Good evening, Jeff and Chrissy out there in Hawaii, way out in the middle of the ocean. It's good to see you, brother and sister. Maybe it's just Jeff, but good to see you out there. So tonight we're going to continue our journey into the quest to understand and discover the theology of masculine spirituality. And I think along the line, what we're going to do is discover something to do about the feminine genius. And uh, so uh, this is going to be fun tonight because we're going to get, get into the mythological character of our, of our faith. And I didn't, when I say myth, I don't mean uh, something that's untrue, but something that's deeply profound and beautiful. And in particular, those Genesis stories. And we're going to end up talking not only about the Genesis stories, but into the New Testament and kind of talk about how these differences in male and female show up in, in our faith 
and they're reflected or they're complementary with what we see in the science. And so last week we we did a, a, a science uh, portion on masculine spirituality. And like a true man, I'm going to kind of uh, going to say that. So if we think about the manufacturing process, and I'm going to use the the uh, the idea of of iron and two different types of iron. One is structural steel, and another one is cast iron. So the, both of those substances are about anywhere from like 99% to 95% exactly the same, mm. but they behave completely different, mm. and they're used for different types of, of application. So structural steel is used in buildings, and the neat thing about structural steel, it's got a lot of give, it's got a lot of strength, but like earthquakes, the swaying of buildings and winds, it can move around a little bit. You can actually take a sledgehammer and, and, and start pounding on a piece of structural steel. And you might deform it a little bit, but probably won't hurt it much. Whereas if you, if you take a piece of cast iron like your engine block, a good example, cast iron is used in engine blocks, and you hit it with a sledgehammer, you're going to crack it. It's just going to break. And, and, but they're almost exactly the same substance, but what's different, the reason, so you might say there's two different telosses. So that term we started using last week or we've used before the idea of the telos is sort of the, the theology of the body of the substance. So there's, there's certain substances that the telos is like, that's the perfect use for that particular material or body. So, so why why is cast iron and and structural steel so different when they're so much the same it has to do with two different uh ideas one is the is the amount of carbon there so there's about a anywhere from a three percent to a five percent difference in the amount of carbon there's a higher carbon rate in in cast iron than there is in structural steel and the way and then the process through which they're made is different and so because of that, that makes for these two different substances that are different from one another. So we're kind of going to look at the Genesis stories, kind of like it's a story of creation in a sense, a story of manufacturing, you might say, that indicates why men and women are different mm. and why there's a feminine genius and then a masculine spirituality. So, um so Michael, the you're a you're a fan of John Eldridge, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. John's, I think, is a pioneer in some ways, right? Um, the well, Wild at Heart, right? I mean that that book is is uh, resonates with men across many you know many uh, uh, what's the word I want to use um, denominations, if you will, <laughs> and generations. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the way the way of the wild heart. I mean, I mean, he just he has a way of just uh, talking to you, and you're like, yeah, that makes perfect sense, right? Now he doesn't bring a whole lot of science into his work, um, from what I recall, but I think he definitely, uh, yeah, he just has something that he's you know is really resonating, right? So he he talks about the pursuit of you know every man is like this adventure and battle and beauty, and you're like, yeah, you know, like why is that, <laughs> you know, like. Why do I want to go seek adventure and battle and what, like, why do I take these, you know, what's seemingly unnecessary risk sometimes, right? <laughs> you know, like it's worth it. I got to see it. I got to, I got to push this, you know, mm. we're going to push the envelope here. You know, there's a little bit of a, and then, you know, just everything about, you know, adventure, battle and beauty and, a, you know, battle mm -hmm. to win and beauty to conquer. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, and you know, when I read, first read Eldridge, and it's kind of interesting, you say, because Eldridge is not Catholic, but you, we might call him an evangelical brother. He's a great poet and a great storyteller. Yeah. And when I read Eldridge, he revealed things to myself that I was like, wow, I thought I was the only one that had that big fault, right? So especially when he kind of talked about every, in every man's heart, there's this, there's this big question. Mm -hmm. And it's and uh, uh, so and when he brings that question up, the question is, do you have what it takes? You know, and, and really at the heart of that question is like, 
when the thing crashes, when everything goes down, when you're going to be called with your entire being into the into the chaos to, to protect or to defend or to fight or whatever that looks like, are you going to have the stuff? Are you made of the right stuff to be able to do that? Mm. And I th- and he kind of said, every man fears that he has that right stuff, you know, and it's kind of when I read that, I thought, oh, my goodness, I thought I was the only coward on the face of the earth. Right. So he kind of like I think he gave permission to a lot of men to kind of understand that that's sort of natural to manhood, that that kind of that that fear almost that I wouldn't have the right stuff. And mm. but anyway, as much as that resonated to me and especially like the idea that every man is built for adventure and for battle and the pursuit of beauty, the Catholic side of me, which is more scientifically anchored said, why? I, you know, it's like, I knew he was right. I felt it in my heart and soul. No, that's right. Eldridge is right. Why? Yeah. And, uh, so, um, so in the, so there's really the Catholic side of me says, well, why is that? So, and it kind of, I think it kind of led, uh, led us in wilderness outreach towards this idea of, well, so, so what's, so what's going on in this thing called this male telos, you know, the, how God created us. And so what's, so there's something about the Genesis stories that's going to reveal something to us here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. There's a, I think there's like, for us, we're like, there's, you know, this idea of masculine spirituality, right? There's like, you know, there's, you want to say there should be something, you know, in this age where they're trying to say, um, uh, you know, deny masculinity or, you know, <laughs> uh, toxic masculinity. I mean, it's like, okay, well, let's just get back to just the basics, you know, male and female. And, you get, and, you know, so in the church, we hear this, you know, this idea of like, or the bridegroom and you're like, okay, how do I balance that with, like, I'm not a bride. I'm, I'm a man. <laughs> it's like, how do I, how do I like, I, you know, I'm, I, this makes sense to me, but then there's something that says there's, there's more here, you know, Eve came out of, you know, from his, you know, there was, you know, Adam and then there was this rib and then this whole, you know, the whole count there. And you're going to go, uh, something has not been looked at. Right. And that, um, yeah. I think, so I, yeah, that whole creation story, just like what you're talking about there. And and I want to throw a big, uh, big uh, uh, hello out there to, to our brother, Dan Boyden. Thank you, Dan, for listening to us. Dan, you're you're sitting in the same room with our brother, Jeff Pimentel, out there in Hawaii. So you guys can say hello to each other in your virtual way. So two good brothers there. But uh, that I mean, that's kind of so that whole idea that Eve is made out of Adam. Out of his rib. How can that ever be? I mean, that doesn't make sense scientifically, does it? <laughs> does it? <laughs> you know, so that's, but that's a really good question. And you brought something else up there too about, you know, there's a lot of theology out there that kind of talks about how all souls are feminine. Yeah. And I know yeah, we've talked about this before, right? And 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 I've heard guys on on like EWTN say, yeah, a couple of men were on EWTN about a year ago, and and uh, they were talking about Saint Francis of Assisi, and one of them said he was such a beautiful bride of Christ. <laughs> You know, and it's like, I want to get on the phone and say, listen, dude, he's a man. He's not a bride of Christ. You know, he's a, he's a son and a brother and, and, uh, he's, he's lots of things, but he's not a woman. Right. So he's not a woman, not to do, but he's just, he's a man, right. He's a different creature. He's a different creature. So there's some, there's some problems in our theology there in this whole idea of how, how the creation story unfolds and what is it? You know, there was a book written that Father Hahn gave me called uh, The Feminization of Christianity by a guy named Leon Pottles. Mm. And it's called uh, The Church Impotent. Okay, yeah, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, and he gets right into that, that there's a, there was kind of a, a little thing that happened there where all of a sudden this bright, this, he calls it bridal mysticism. And it kind of, it kind of infected the Western church in particular, because it's like, you know, it's like the, like orthodoxy is not like that. Eastern orthodoxy isn't like this. And it's, 
but it's like somehow this snuck into Western Christianity, this idea that all souls are feminine. Yeah, I mean, there seems to be like people have looked at the centuries and then you know, people are like, well, I don't know, what do you want to call it exploration of sorts to kind of go like, uh, and then, you know, I think it's, this is kind of more of a recent development, right? This idea of the feminine soul and they're like, well, if it could be feminine, then it could be masculine. You know, what, what, what qualities are you attributing to, um, you know, what, what are you, what are you attributing to this soul? And so I, I think with, you know, when later on we bring up, um, the lady's name, but you, I'm, I'm missing right now, Depper, um, Dr. Savage. Deborah Savage, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what she brings up is like, finally, I mean, someone's looking, and you're going to get to this, but uh, I, I think when I first heard this, like, yes, this makes sense. Why aren't we more, why aren't more people pouring into this? Why aren't more people looking at this? And because I, I think for all of us, we're like, this makes sense, you know? Um, when I think of, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's just something like, you know, Anthony Yancelis recent book on, um, on men, right? Uh, uh, what's the title of that? Uh, um, you know, it just talks about men and masculine and this just, you know, there's a, there's something about us. There's, there's just two distinct you know, person, male and female, right? There's just something about, there's something there. And uh, yeah. some people are willing to look one way and, and not the other. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And there's a lot of confusion out there. And we live in a day and age where we really need to be clear thinking male and female are different and we need to know how and why, and we need to drill it into our children, the truth about this. Right. Mm. So, because we, this is like Monsignor Shea who wrote the book from uh, uh, Christendom to apostolic mission stated, we need an intellectual counterattack. And I think this is part of it. So we need to be able to define male and female and really show how the richness of our faith in in the Genesis stories and throughout our our biblical stories really show this difference between male and female and and then how it actually then complements the scientific proof of that as well. So it's uh, so I'm going to bring up on our screen here for those that can see it. I'm going to bring our slideshow up here a little bit. So we can uh, talk a little bit of this through here. And um, so uh, one of the things that happened on this journey to, to, to answer some of these questions, like you can see there that, uh, you know, I ha we ha I've had a seminarian say once, well, I don't believe in this masculine spirituality stuff, right? <laughs> and uh, so I was like, well, let's argue about it. No, I don't want to argue about it, you know, and it's... Uh, <laughs> So, you know, even in my Protestant background, which I think, uh, Michael, you grew up Protestant as well, but somewhere deep inside of that Protestant background, there's this Christian teaching that I got that the body, the human body, is the expression of the soul. That the body, right. yeah, that the body conforms to the soul or the matter conforms yes, to the spirit. Yes, right, right. So, so. So to me, when I looked at that, well, there's a male body and there's a female body. So there's mm -hmm. probably a male and female soul, right? Yeah. And yeah. so one of the one of the questions was, well, in in Genesis, it seems like it's talking about that male and female, he made them, right? Yeah. And then I started wondering, I started hearing about this guy named Thomas Aquinas. I guess he's kind of smart, isn't he? <laughs> So anyway, I thought, well, he's probably got something to say about the male and female. So I thought, well, that that makes a lot of sense. And then there was this guy named John Paul II that wrote uh, the theology of the body. So uh, so a good a good uh, priest friend of mine said, hey, John, you need to read the theology of the body. And also, you need to get into sex different science and you really need to study this out, right, and figure out what's mm -hmm. going on. So mm -hmm. uh, so if we if we look at some of this. Um, through the years, you know, it was like. Trying to find the answer. So I was really like since since I was really looking for masculine spirituality, I really uh, was looking for a man. Right. I was looking for a man mentor that could say, well, here's how the Genesis stories roll out. And here's how the male and female are different. 
And I looked and I looked and I looked. Starting in 2011, I kept looking for this and I couldn't find it. I thought, well, certainly the Dominicans have it, right? Yeah. After the, can't find anybody in the Dominicans that's got the stuff, right? And I thought, well, if there, there's got to be a good Jesuit left out there, right? <laughs> So I know I know Father Pack was a really good Jesuit, but at this time he wasn't talking about male and female differences. So I'm literally praying to Lord, the Lord, you know, Lord, this, what's going on in Genesis? Hmm. You know, when when in the Genesis stories, like Genesis one, it says, you know, male and female are created at the at sort of at the at the climax of creation, at the at the the pinnacle of creation, male and female, He makes them, you know. Uh, be fruitful and multiply. That's sort of the end of Genesis one. And then, but, but so there was this other thing going on, this Genesis two story. And it's like, okay, what's that? It's like, mm. there's a whole new story going on of Genesis that mm. um, and it's like, well, why, what's that mean? Right. Yeah. Are, are the male and female that they're talking about in Genesis two, the same that they're talking about in Genesis one. And it's like, come on, Lord, where can I find this? And so lo and behold, the Lord delivers somebody into my horizon that actually seems to have all the right answers. And it's not a guy. <laughs> and it's like, no, it's a learned woman. And, and her name is Dr. Deborah Savage, the first woman, right? And she wrote this great piece about the Genesis stories. Yeah. What I love about, yeah, it seems like with her, there's this effort, you know, uh, well, especially today, right? I mean, I think what's great about those two women coming out about, you know, kind of affirming this idea of um, the masculine soul and the, you know, the nature of the soul, you know, the masculine soul is different than the female soul, but is that, you know, they, uh, I lost my train of thought there, but, but I, I, I just, you know, when I look at her and her, and as you say, you know, this idea, this effort to go, like, we are different, you know, we are complementary, and this is where it's at. You know, obviously, Genesis 1 account really, as John Paul points out, is that it's like, no, we're objectively equal, right? That's what, objectively speaking, you know, the Genesis 1 affirms that, right? And John Paul's like, yes, we're both equal, but we're different, right? <laughs> yes, right. And then he launches into Genesis 2 to say, okay, let's talk about the complementary and how the, the, how we are different. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so it's interesting that like after, so yeah. So father Wilson says, you got to read John Paul, the second theology of the body. And by the way, don't read the guy that's interpreting it. Go to the original documents. I won't mention the guy's <laughs> name, but he said, don't, don't go to him. But he's like, go to the original documents. Right. So I did. And one of the things that really struck me in there is in, in those original documents, there's like a paragraph in there where John Paul II writes about this thing called the uh, original solitude. Mm. And right now, as I say that phrase, the original solitude, I get goosebumps. And I get goosebumps because as soon as I read that, I said to myself, that's got something to do with manhood. I just knew it. It's like, that's got something to do with manhood, the original solitude. I mean, it's just like that. It was kind of like Eldridge saying man was made for adventure, battle, and the pursuit of beauty. It was kind of that same feeling, right? I knew it, but it's like, well, why? Right. <laughs> so, so yeah. So it's, um, so anyway, our good Lord delivered Dr. Deborah Savage into my horizon. And all of a sudden I, and this, this lady shows up on Al Cresta talking about the exact questions that I'm, I'm delving into about what, what does Genesis have? What is this difference of male and female in Genesis? And why is it important? And what's the difference between Genesis one and two? Mm. And so when I get into it, lo and behold, she also says at the beginning of this work, she says, and there's something else. John Paul II in his Theology of the Body says something about this thing called the original solitude. And I'm really going to delve into that because I think it's really important. I'm going like, wow, 
it's like she's hitting on all the things here, right? So I end up reading her stuff that she wrote, and it's just like I, I was like, "Thank you, Lord, for this is wonderful." Why couldn't it have been a man? So, <laughs> but it, but it's like it's perfect, right? Because this is the feminine genius coming to the support and uh, and and really helping the man to understand himself. And it's really perfect. It's exactly that complementarity that that occurs in our real life. So the woman gets to re reflect this mirror back on the man and kind of say, "This is who you are," right? And we see ourselves like we've never seen ourselves before, right? And this is what Deborah Savage did in that, that whole process. And one of the things that she does, so she, in Genesis two, what's so profound, one of the things so profound about Genesis two is that the whole creation story starts over again and it's the Lord by himself and there's some dirt and there's some water. And he reaches down and he grabs the dirt and the water and he forms this thing out of it and he breathes the breath of life into it. And it's a man. And so the, the male creature, it's literally the male creature is made at that time. And it's before the garden. It's before Adam and Eve. And it's in the original solitude. So yeah. the heritage of us, of every male creature on the face of the earth today, is that heritage of being formed by God when he formed our great-great-great-great-grandfather, Adam, in the original solitude. We still carry that same, that same stuff in us, right? And maybe it's, the, and scientifically, it's the, that could be the Y chromosome, you know, that's like the ancient, that's the, the modern echo of the ancient breath of life that the Lord God breathed into the, the, the water and the dirt and made mm. a man. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah, and, and then, so what happens next in this whole thing? So in a sense, God takes this man he's made and there's like not much around you know there might be some stars and some more dirt and stuff and he starts to make the garden of eden and as he makes the garden of eden it's like it's almost like here's the son the first son of the father in the original workshop so we yeah. as we as the male creature are being formed in the original workshop where god the father is taking all the the natural stuff of nature and forming all the animals and then our our God, the father's coming to the, to us, coming to Adam and saying, what do you name this son? And that's no small matter, right? I mean, he's coming to the, to the, the man and saying, name this. And so it's like, okay, camel, elephant, snake, you know, whatever. So he's like, so, so Adam gets to name the creatures, whole different thing. So, and, and literally the entire garden of Eden is created and Eve is still not around. Eve is still not around. Isn't that amazing? So it's like, and so, so the man is seeing the creation, almost, you might say the entire universe at the, at the knee of God the Father. He's seeing the whole creation of everything that supports life. And then and he gets to the end of that, and what does he say? He says... <laughs> Yeah, you there's nobody here fit for you to help to help to help you, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean initially, right. He goes, he goes, uh initially the you know, with the animals, you know, so I will make him a helper fit for him. Um, but you know, realizes, you know <laughs> you know, not say realize you <laughs> but yeah, then none of these are working out. And and so uh and so what does God the Father do? Now, this is really pretty cool what happens next because he's um, he takes the man and he puts him to sleep, right? Now, this is pretty neat stuff here because and then he takes the man's rib and then he and the word that is used in the original, uh, according to, to Dr. Savage, the word that's used to... Uh, to create the woman is build. He builds the woman out of the man's rib. Now what's really profound about that. And, and Dr. Savage says this, this is so, this is so insightful. 
God builds the woman out of finer stuff. You might even say more evolved stuff, right? So stuff that's already been worked on and worked on and made into something else. that's already been made into a human person, a right. male human person. And then God, the father has taken part of that male human person and now building another person out of that. So he's unlike the male. So if you look at us, we're made out of dirt and water, man. It doesn't get any lower than that. <laughs> embrace, embrace your beginnings, brother. Right, Michael? <laughs> right, Vince? So embrace our beginnings as dirt and water. And it's like, that's okay. We're men. We can take that. Yeah. We'll, we'll own that. But our, the woman is built out of finer stuff. And yeah, I like what, yeah, what she brings up is, you know, Deborah brings up um, is that she, you know, she's saying it's the pinnacle of creation, right? She's the last created. Yes. Yeah. She's the last of his creation and the best, you know? Um, so I, I liked it. And I go, wow. Okay. I never <laughs> like, I kind of gleam over that, you know, like, yeah, like woman was the last of creation, the last of his, the pinnacle of creation, so to speak, you know, it's a, and there's, there's something there, right. There's a there, there, right. <laughs> well, this goes back to that, that, that masculine thing I talked about at the beginning, the manufacturing process is different. So it's like, an, and I'm sure if there's any of those ladies out there listening to this right now, they're rolling their eyes again. Oh no, they, everything's got to be objectified down into some process, right? Well, that's the, that's the male creature is, as uh, you know, we're going to talk a little bit here about how Deborah uh, Savage kind of mm. reveals that. So, but the, yeah. so the, so if we look at that, the male creature in our creation, we're, we're, we're built out of, original dirt and water mm. in the original solitude in complete solitude. And, and, and we see the building of the of the universe or the garden. So that is imprinted upon us almost like an engineering mindset, a builder's mm -hmm. mindset, an understanding of how stuff fits together of how, you know, you can use this material with that material, but you can't use that material with that material. And guess what? There's hierarchy in the universe and everything has a, has a place and an order in it and it fits together like that. Right. So that's, so that's what the, the, the our entire male, um, tell us our being is formed like that. And it means something now the woman, now let's think about that. So Deborah Savage calls this the horizon. What's the horizon of the let's say the consciousness of this new being that God's making for the woman, that horizon is all of a sudden she is awakening into the universe that is basically already created. So she's seeing the created universe and all of its relationship and the, the birds and the elephants and the, the grass and the trees and the winds blowing and there's rainbow and there's thunderstorms. And then there's this man in front of her, right? So she's seeing the entire universe in relationship already being like right now. That's her first vision of, of the entire creation. So unlike Adam, who's, who kind of sees it from the beginning, build up through, she's entering onto the scene like with new eyes as a child for the first time. And it's completely imprinting upon her that the, the fundamental stuff of the universe is relationship. Yeah. Myself in relation to, yeah. And women, women, no relationships, right? <laughs> yeah. It, well, it's, it's like, it's fundamental stuff for them. Right. Mm. So, and, and it's, and it's, yeah. So, so again, the man, you know, we were made of dirt and water before the garden in the original solitude and the man cave in the original workshop stuck in the garden. We name all the creatures and the Lord says, and there's one thou shalt not dude, get this right. <laughs> so Dr. Savage has some great sayings there, doesn't she? Yeah, first. Uh... So she's talking about this and she says, and I just love this quote. She says, first, it is notable that man, the male, is in the garden alone with God for some for some period of time before the appearance of the woman. 
something that is important has important implications for the place he occupies in the created order. And then would you read that second one there? Man's first contact with reality includes the Lord God. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting this this order, right? Uh, God, man, woman. I mean, there's his his you know his he's awakening consciences, right, into to to being in God's presence and then seeing you know seeing God firsthand, see you know create these rivers and and and, and still kind of creating and carving out the earth, so to speak, um, and, and and setting things in place. You know, you say in the workshop and. And I think that kind of speaks to that, you know, that's, um, but I think you, I think you, there's some part in here, right. Where she awakens and she sees him. Right. And, and there's just like this, <laughs> it's different, you know, you know, person, a person, human bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And there's just the new re reality that's waking up, awakening in, in both of them in some sense. Well, and, and, and what's, what's really cool about that is, so he see the man's, sees and is present to all of the creation everything that the created order except for the woman he's asleep so she's a great mystery to him so she's made from him she's bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh but he has like no clue how this happened you know he's <laughs> like wow <laughs> yeah i mean that, that i mean i Part of it is just like you put yourself in Adam's place going, okay, you know, okay, I was here, I was doing this thing. <laughs> and, and like, you know, to see, you know, as I think Scott Hahn says, whoa, man, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, his, what just happened? Yeah, so he uses, you know, his, his word, his, his puns and his, you know, his, um, but... <laughs> Yeah. So, so, you know, and this is what's so beautiful because, you know, it's, it's like being, being a, a men as we are and men who are, let's call ourselves as we are conservative, orthodox believing men, male and female, he made them. That's it. You know, there's hierarchy in the universe. There's differentiation. It's like, you know, some things are better than others. Other things are worse than some. Some sins really bad. Some sins not as bad. Some things are really good. Some things aren't as good. So we, we as men can differentiate that. And, uh, and then you have somebody like Deborah Savage, in a sense, coming to our defense because everybody's coming after the man today, right? The, 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 the uh, what did you call it earlier? This toxic masculinity is to blame for everything in the world. You know, it's the men who are to blame. And, mm. and uh, you know, Deborah Savage says the contemporary dissatisfaction with the tendency of man to attend to things more than people completely overlooks the fact that things, the things of creation also have ontological status. I think that is so beautiful that, I mean, everything in a sense in God's created universe is like a sacrament of creation, right? But there's a hierarchy in it and there's a differentiation in it, which God, the father made the male to be able to appreciate and see and understand. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we, we live in a world where people want to impress their own, their own truth upon, upon reality, instead of seeing it for what it is, right? They're, they're blind to what is before them, right? The, what is, what is reality? What is truth? And so I think, uh, you know, when we look at man and we study man, you know, you know, in his proper setting or any setting, really just kind of see that there's something that men do. They have tendencies and, and you can kind of see that and, and women as well, right. In the natural setting outside of cultural and, you know, uh, you know, variances, right. Clothing and, and hairstyles and things of that nature, right. There's something that it's inherently different um, in, in nature, right? There's in maleness and femaleness, right? It's a reality, isn't it? It's like, yeah, so science and real science and common sense tells us that, but we're living in a time when there's this something of a foot with evil that's trying to obliterate that, right? It's trying to obliterate this God-given differentiation, this God-given complementarity of male and female of, that's at the heart of creation. 
there's something evil afoot that's trying to attack all of that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things you brought up earlier in the, in our podcast, Michael, was this whole idea about, and we'll get into that again here, but this, this concept of all things are, are all souls are f- feminine, right? And it just always irked me when I heard that. It's like every, every soul is like a bride of Christ. And it's like in, <laughs> in my heart of hearts. And I know all my brothers out there hearing this, give me a big thumbs up when you say this, but I'm like sitting there saying, look, man, Jesus Christ is my Lord and my savior. And he's my commander in chief, but I'm not his bride, man. That ain't the way it works. And that's just really bad theology. And I knew it in the very heart and soul of me. And Leon Pottle says, that's kind of, that's the kind of thinking that's driving men away from the church. Mm-hmm. They don't even know that they're hearing that, but it's true. Right. Mm-hmm. So they, they just sense that that's what's being said in our church today yeah. or that has been said. And men are like, I don't want any part of that, you know? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah. you see the same one that talks about the feminization of right in the church. And yes. Uh, right. I mean, I think he talks about it in the context of the liturgy as well, right? There's this, you know, change from, you know, uh, you know, the difference in, you know, how things were done in the past and how things have changed and kind of the, the variance of things we see nowadays, you know. Um, there used to be a very masculine, sacrificial presence, um, and things are now, I would say, different right they're kind of i would say more feminine in a lot of ways communal you know community community base and we're looking right you know whereas men are very outward bright projecting outward action um sacrifice um you know for the people leading right so you see that you see that difference in today's world yeah so so anyway, that that question though was sort of, sort of dangling out there. So the whole Deborah Savage comes along. It's like, okay, I get this question about, okay, Lord, what's going on with this thing called the original solitude? Explain mm-hmm. to me the male and female differences uh, in Genesis one and two, and then this other thing. Please straighten everybody out about this this misconception about all souls are the bride of Christ, right? <laughs> so it's like, so it's like, come to my defense, Lord, because I know that that's that can't be real. Now, Deborah Savage does get into that a little bit in that in that work that she did in Logos, which after I've read it, like I've read it six times probably, and every time I read it, I'm like, oh man, I can't believe I missed that the last time, right? But so she <laughs> talks about how the so male and female terms are used both in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. However, they're actually different words. In the original Yahweh's texts, the terms male and female used in Genesis 1 are different from the, the terms male and female used in Genesis 2. And mm-hmm. she points out that in, in Genesis 1, those terms for male and female are properly uh, identified as meaning active and passive mm, that's right. or active and receptive. So in other words, she's saying the human person was made active and receptive just in and of the human person themselves. So she goes on to point out that there is a male activity and a female activity or action, and then there's also a male type of receptivity and a female type of receptivity. So if you look at those words as opposed to male and female, then it starts to explain that this whole, how this whole concept of all souls of the bride of Christ is incorrect because it's thinking of it as being sex, and it's Mm. not. Now, it was kind of funny. This is 2015, and I'm praying. Okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you for sending Dr. Deborah Savage. Why couldn't it have been a man? You know, I'm still <laughs> like having. So it's like so. I'm still kind of processing that, right? So so I still got this thing about. Well, I got a couple really big questions, though, Lord. You thank you so much for answering that with Dr. Deborah Savage. Okay, tell me a bit. Straighten this thing out about that all souls are feminine. That can't be true. Right. And also, um, uh, 
and and I also believe that like for instance if we think about our archetype like the archetype of manhood i've always believed is jesus christ also joseph but jesus christ is a man i always believe that right and i remember i was talking to a priest once about that and he said you can't say that you can't say jesus christ he said i can't say jesus christ is a man i mean like male and he said no you can't say that because it doesn't it doesn't leave women with anything you know how do you you know so how how is a woman imaged in god and everything and i kind of thought well that's really a good question actually right <laughs> <laughs> and so so I started praying about this. And actually a month later on Al Crest again, here comes this woman by the name of Dr. Monica Miller, who just happens to be Michael Pavey's cousin, who's sitting yeah, my, here with me yeah. in the studio tonight. It's your cousin, right? Or she's yeah, yeah, related my, to you. Yeah, my wife's cousin. Yeah, my wife's, wife's cousin. Or on the yeah, this is a relation of my wife. I'm, I'm and I, and I didn't my... even know that, right? <laughs> and so I, I bring this information out on on what your first expedition, and we're sitting around the campfire, and I'm talking about this learned woman, and you look across the campfire at me and says, oh, yeah, that's my wife's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she said some things in there that are just just blew my socks off. Right. And, and when I, when I listened to that, and if you go back to that 2015 outcrust of Dr. Monica Miller, it was in like October. Uh, and she's talking about this book she wrote called the authority of women in a Catholic church, which sort of sounds like a feminist tone, but it really isn't because I've never seen such a, a logical takedown of secular feminism in my life, nor have I seen a better defense for the all-male priesthood in my life or of manhood in my life than what Dr. Monica Miller gave in her book. So it's just a phenomenal piece of work. And uh, in, in that, she says, he says, like, the eternal masculinity of Christ reveals that the significance of gender— and I'm going to say gender meaning sex is not simply on some biological level, but actually significance to salvation history. This so is the fact that Christ is a male is, is important to salvation history. And that also not only is he a male human being while on earth, but he is even in his glorified state, he remains a man. And this means that a person's sexuality has a transcendent and eternal dimension. So in other words, the, one of those questions is, what happens after death? Do we like diffuse into some kind of genderless being? And it's like, no, not according to, to Aquinas or Dr. Savage or Dr. Monica Miller. Right. I mean, it's... it's uh... I think it's one thing that about what I learned about when coming into the faith is that there is, you know, it's, it's been described as that, you know, when I came into the Catholic faith, it's like everything's like, a, it's like a beautiful painting and, and everything about the painting, the what's beautiful, the painting is the the details, right? And so when you look at these finer points of, of God who is in heaven in this bodily form, who is still, and so this gives significance to the body in itself. But then you go, well, he's still male and he came here as male and as a man. And so he was raised in a manner that was, you know, raised by Joseph. Uh, and, and so you, you look at this and go, you know, what is what is the significance of this? Right. And I think she expounds on this to say that there is some there is something there to ponder that God is showing us that at a, at a deeper level about who we are. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't lessen women's. Uh, peace in the church right i mean there's still a quality um well yeah i mean and it's what's amazing about that in her book she is like and in that program she did with al cresta she is celebrating womanhood right i mean it's mm -hmm. like she's making al feel kind of sheepish about being a man even so she's talking <laughs> about how how what the archetype of woman is mary and the church as our brother vince had just pointed out that's if the church is the bride right the church mm. is the bride of christ mm. and so this is the archetype of every woman is this universal uh female archetype right that all mm. women possess like we possess the archetype of manhood they have they possess the archetype of the bride of christ right 
Mm. And, uh, and so she's talking about that and she's talking about all these great women in the Bible and everything. And at one point out crest, and this is like, if you go to that, uh, September or October 15th, Al Cresta, uh, Dr. Uh, Monica Miller interview about 30 minutes in Al Cresta says to her, well, I'm feeling a little sheepish about this. What's what about men? Aren't they kind of important or something? And he says, are you kidding? And she says, are you kind of like, are you kidding me? You have Jesus Christ and Joseph and God, the father is your archetype, you know? And he says, well, I've been hearing about this thing where like all souls are feminine. Um, and, and, and she says at that point, that's just bad theology. And when I heard that, I was down here in my workout room in the basement, right where I am right now. I pumped my fist and screamed. And my <laughs> wife ran downstairs and said, are you okay? And I said, it's kind of like my finally heard what I, you know, this is what I've been looking for. I knew that was true. And I just had to figure out who had the stuff to explain that. Mm. So, you know, she goes on to say, uh, this is such a, she does such a glorious thing of making us men feel like, okay, we're important. Yeah. We're really important. Right. He says, she says, it must be then that men are the image and glory of God in some special way. There may be something shared between God. There must be something shared between God and males. Christ is called the head of males while males are the heads of their wives. Christ and men are heads because they are both origins. Mm. And then she says, he, she goes on to say, well, um, and then she goes on to say about that idea about brides of Christ and bad theology, but mm. the believer needs to deal with this. In the, in the, the document, enter his insigniores, declares that even now, even in Christ's glorified heavenly existence, due to the incarnation, Jesus is male. In other words, Jesus is now and now forever a guy. This is so according to the unity of the divine son of God with the male gender and the conception of Christ in the womb of Mary. Jesus does not shed his body at the time of death, but his body and thus his male human sexuality is forever within the mystery of the Godhead united to his person. A more radical doctrinal statement on the meaning of masculinity can hardly be imagined. That's phenomenal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I was trying to think of, um, there was a, um, uh, where was that? I was thinking it's a, a good passage. I was just reading earlier from, um, St. Thomas Aquinas. And it makes this reference, the same idea that she's making here about um, that there was this idea that the church came, the church came out of Christ from it, you know, was poured forth, you know, just like the rib was taken out of Adam to make the woman, you know, the church was formed out of his side, right? So this whole side, this idea of this side by side or out of his side, flowed the church, right? A blood and water. And then the birth of the church, right? Through baptism, so to speak. Um, but also in a sense that, you know, and I'm trying to remember this passage, but it was like, it didn't come from the head and it didn't, you know, and it also, she didn't come from his feet, right? So this idea that it came from his side in a sense of this sort of equalness of, of being, you know, of, of being in existence, right? Objective, objective order. But uh, and I love that comparison is like this idea that uh, she came from the side, which means side by side. Right. Um. So, so yeah, this is, uh, yeah, this is exciting stuff. And uh, I, I, you know, we're, we're closing in on the end of our hour and like, this is, we've gotten to about say three quarters of the way through this, this, uh, the <laughs> biblical or maybe halfway through the biblical, um, foundations of masculinity the theology of masculine spirituality and the feminine genius so i think we're probably just going to have to do the jordan peterson thing and put off the next till next time right <laughs> we'll finish <laughs> into it but kind of in in summary about the male and the female and how um 
these two different modes of operation occurred, mm-hmm. we'll kind of summarize that. And then we'll, we'll kind of talk about what's coming up here uh, uh, in the near future and do a final prayer. Uh, but the, uh, anyway, the, the anthropology of the human male, also known as the theology of masculinity or a masculine spirituality is that man was made from dirt and water before the garden in the original solitude work side by side in the original workshop with God, the father, he names all the creatures. God actually ordains the male creature to be the Shamar. That's one of those Gen- those Yahweh's words found in Genesis 2. That means you're the provider and the protector and the developer of the garden. You're in charge, dude. That's the Shamar. Mm-hmm. So from his very way that he's created, the male creature is, is built to lead. He's built to discover. Mm-hmm. He's built to create. He's built to defend. He's built for fatherhood, brotherhood, and sonship. Just from the way God the Father has created him and the way that he's put him into the universe, which I really believe that's the answer of why John Eldridge was right when he says the man, that man is made for adventure, for battle, and for beauty. Hmm. And, and that is what the male telos is so um michael while i'm talking about what's coming up here in the near future perhaps you could prepare a prayer for us maybe from the the liturgy of the hours or such but uh if you slide on over to wildernessoutreach.net you'll see some uh things that are coming up here in the near future we're going to uh, uh have a men's cigar and uh camp out cigars and crosscut saws and a camp out down at tar hollow we're inviting the men from up there at the newman center ohio state university to join us old dudes out camping out in like the second weekend of march and i'm kind of curious where those those 20 uh, something guys can hang with us old guys any anybody might have an opinion of that i'd love to hear about it so uh but i think they can and but we're gonna we're gonna talk about the same stuff we're talking about here about masculine spirituality about our our role as fathers and providers and protectors and we're going to spend a weekend in march and then we're going to have also during that uh, that time i think towards the end of march it might be the beginning of april we're going to do a father son ages 10 through 14 uh camp out down in tar hollow at the same time Coming up on April 8th, which is Holy Saturday, we'll be down at Tar Hollow for our, our annual 12-mile slog with our 65-pound cross, about six hours. It's beautiful. Uh, we've had our bishop show up there once before. We usually have a, a priest or two show up, and uh, men spend 12 hours hiking through the woods together, praying a rosary, just having a blast. We have fathers and sons show up. We've had men men with their sons as young as three to four years old who've done the whole 12 miles before. So that's going to be a a thing of great joy and beauty that we're going to do again in May coming up. uh, May uh, 9th or so, we're going to take those same group of great young tough men from the the Newman Center at Ohio State University. We're going to take them out to the Rogue River and in oregon and we're going to work about 20 miles of the rogue river trail that's going to be a great expedition because the bureau land management guys are going to float our gear down the rogue river and we're going to we're going to walk down the the river every day with our packs on cutting uh logs off the trail and and taking care of rock work and just a lot of good trail work and then every night we're going to have a different camp location going to try to get like 20 miles of trail work down on the road river trail. And then in mid July, we're still working on this. We're not quite sure we're going to end up. We're still pinpointing towards uh, Wyoming. We might be in Northern Wyoming in like July 14th. And that's going to be uh, um, a male. Uh, it could be a father son retreat. We haven't zeroed in on this yet. It could be, a, or it could be an all adult layman. And then we're going to go back out into the Sierra Nevada to the John Muir, wilderness in august 
I know I'm going to throw the lure out there to Michael because he just loves the John Muir wilderness. And the uh, so he's been up there in the high country with us before. Mm. So we're going to take a group of uh, men and go up there and let the Forest Service pack us in with their mules and horses and get up in there and get after some good hard rock work, help rebuild some of those trails up there. They're getting pounded out there, by the way. This is really cool if you've been keeping an eye out uh, on the Sierra Nevada, up, up in those places that we've been before, but we've spent, you know, days and days working on those trails there's 12 15 feet of snow right now oh, so up there, up there around fernandez pass up there between uh you know the ansel adams wilderness and yosemite wilderness up on top of that pass right there's probably 12 15 feet of snow right now because they're just that's... getting pounded so that's really good and uh so jeff jeff says jeff's gonna do it with us this year i, I just look so i can't wait to get on a cross cut saw with my brother Jeff Pimentel. I'm telling you, he's gonna pull me right through the curve. I really <laughs> believe that. <laughs> it's gonna be good stuff when we can get together and, and work together and move some heavy rocks and build some good walls and build some brotherhood. Yeah. And you know, and build our virtue in the Lord, which is even more important. So that's gonna be really good. So uh uh, so anyway, I think we've come to the end of our time. We've, you know, good folks have been with us for a while. So uh, let's let them go. And Michael, if you'll close us out with a uh, with a prayer, that would be wonderful. All right. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. God, our Father, you placed all the powers of nature and the control of man in His work. May we bring the Spirit of Christ to our to all our efforts, and work with our brothers and sisters at our common task establishing true love and guiding your creation to perfect fulfillment. We ask this through Lord Jesus, your Son, 